0: God, we are so thankful that we know you. We're so thankful that uh, you are as great as you are. Uh, You're greater than we could even imagine, God. Everything that we know about you, everything that we believe about you is um, a fraction of what's true about you. And so uh, today, God, I pray that you would um, strengthen our hearts, you would remind us of the gospel, and that we would be uh, better people for being here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so it's my final Sunday, pretty crazy. Uh, Obviously, as we've found ourselves moving to this uh, day emotionally, there's lots going on. What's what happened? I hate him. Now that I'm leaving, can I tell you how I really feel about Andy? You guys remember that day when Andy forgot to come in and I had to call him on my phone? Do you remember that? By the way, that's on the podcast. So if you listen to that message online, you can hear me calling him. And I say, Andy, um, we're waiting for you. And he goes, no way. He's out and he was I think he was in his truck doing something on his phone, but that was hilarious. All right. So, um, so obviously as we've been approaching this day, emotionally, we're going through a lot of things. Um, there's a lot of elements of grieving uh, because honestly, we're leaving people that we love. We're uh, leaving a church that loves us. And we're leaving uh, leadership that we have grown to trust entirely uh, here at Living Word. Uh, there are also elements of excitement as we ponder you know, and think about what God uh, is doing and what God has planned for us. We, we obviously trust the God um, who's sending us, but we, um, there's pain in being sent. Because uh, you know what you 're giving up, you know what you 're leaving, and you know what you 've um, gone through to get to this point, so with all those emotions and all those things going on, what seems to have, what seems to have dominated my my heart recently leading up to this um, is is really just looking back uh, a, a period of time of just looking back, seeing who I was um, you know when, eleven years ago, who I am now, and just um, letting God kind of do some stuff in my heart, so that 's what we 're going to talk about today, some of the verses that God has really been. Um, working on me, um, working through me. And uh, so I just want to share some of those things with you today. And when we arrived in 2000, August of 2005, um, Carrie and I had lost our first son, John Michael, to a rare birth defect. And uh, I don't know if all of you know that, but that was a tremendously difficult time for us, obviously. But at the time, we were really grateful uh, for the opportunity to, to grieve because not a whole ton of people knew about it. So it kind of gave us that space to grieve and to, um, to just let God do what he needed to do and to move through that process at the pace that we needed to move through it. Everyone grieves differently. Um, Carrie and I are more private grievers. Some people are more public grievers where they want a whole bunch of people. And uh, Carrie and I are more private in, in those areas of our lives. And so um, being here two months after um, that happened, it was June 1st of that year, uh, was a tremendously uh Healing time for us. There was a healing process within those fierce few years, um, and this was a great place for us to grieve. This was a fantastic place for us to grieve a tragic loss. Because if there is something that um, Pastor Barden does very well and exceeds at, and makes me look like a moron when he does it, because he's so stinking good at it, is pastoral care. He actually loves you. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's really weird that he actually loves you because I know some of you and you're very unlovable sometimes, (laughs) but he loves you a lot, like for real. And uh, he doesn't just put on a pastor hat and kind of love you sometimes and force himself to love you. That's why he cries every time he stands here. Every single week, we have his heart poured out to us. And um, he's not just giving you information. He's sharing his heart. Um, and his heart hurts for you. He has people sit in his office, and they share um, their burdens and their struggles. And um, he works uh, through those with them. And so when he speaks and he preaches, that comes through. And that's why he's so caring and so um, legitimately, um, uh, just legitimately loves us as his, as his church. Because um, we're not just church, we're not just uh, the people in the church that he pastors, we're a flock that he senses a very real biblical mandate to lead. Um, so if you want to pound in pulpit and crush the sinner type of pastor, you're not going to get it in Pastor Barden, thank goodness, because he loves um, us. And um, so this is what made this place so special to us, because we needed that. We needed that environment. We needed a place that we could grieve. We needed a place that we could um, slowly find our way. And um, and, and that was a great—this um, was a great place to do that. Now, on top of that, I've also learned not to take myself too seriously, as you probably know about me. Uh, I like to—I like, I like fun. I like to joke around. And—but um, when I first got here, um, there was a little bit of— uh, some uncomfortable, uh, you know, transitions that happened in my life. And so I'm looking at the me in 2005 beginning a ministry is actually kind of comical. If you were here on the first Sunday that I was here, um, you might recall this, but um, if you're not, if you weren't, then this will be a great story for you to tell everyone about that comes in later as I leave that you'll say, at least he's not that guy. Because this is what, so on the first Sunday I was here, Pastor Barton asked me to come forward and help with communion. So I am, um, he asked me to pray for, you know, one of the elements as before we take them. And um, so that's what I do. And as we take the cracker, I begin to choke on it. Do you guys remember this? Because this was hor- horrific for me. First time in pastoral ministry professionally, I am sitting up front right here in this spot because it, it's it's tragically burned into my brain, and I'm like <coughs> 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 Forever it didn't stop. I'm like, I, I, I wanted to know where the container was for for the blood of Christ. Like, just drink, you know, drink the whole communion cup. It's just, I, I couldn't handle um, what was happening. And so, but it was so, it was so awkward. And he, he just, he just kept rolling. I don't know what was going through his brain. He's probably like, I need to talk to the board. We need to get rid of this guy. This is not, this is not working. This is not half. I can't handle this. Um, but thankfully, um, they stuck through it. Now, now that wasn't the only train wreck that happened. My first time I ever preached to you was on Christmas Day. My wife is already laughing because she knows exactly where this is going. On, on Christmas Day, it landed... Uh, Christmas Day in 2005 landed on a Sunday. And so Pastor Barton asked me to preach on that Sunday for the first time in front of you. I've been preaching in the youth ministry for a while, but um, uh, that was the first Sunday he asked me to preach for you. And so... Um, now, you probably don't realize how much of a train wreck that was if you were here because it was kind of subtle. But the whole time during the message, I, it was a Christmas message, and the whole time I kept mixing up, uh, or I kept using the Magi when I meant the Shepherds and the Shepherds when I, went, when I meant the Magi. And so afterwards, in the, I just kept interchanging them whenever I felt like it. And so Carrie comes up to me very lovingly, and she goes, Mike, did you know that you were, that you were mixing up the Magi and the Shepherds? Literally, because she thought I was innocently just nervous and messing it up. No, no joke. I said, aren't they the same thing? Because I'm an idiot. I, I literally was so dumb that I was preaching as... So just, just know that who I am now, thank goodness, has been morphed into someone that actually knows the Bible a little bit. So, so if anything, if anything, you've gained someone who learned the Bible They should have known that before they got here, but you guys were very patient with me and um, let me learn it while I was here, clearly. Um, So between choking on Jesus' body and teaching heresy, it was a little rough starting off. Um, I think it's safe to say, a little rough, um, and by the grace of God, here I am today. Uh, I think it's this journey though. It's the idea of a journey that really helps us, um, get some traction in our faith. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the journey because if I focused on the yesterday me, the, the 11 years ago me, it's, it's disheartening. There's a part of it that's like, man, I, I really wasn't living up to what I feel like God um, would have wanted for me and from me, and uh, but He's worked Himself through me, and He's, uh, you know, and, there, and we're not done. He's not done with me. There's still a lot of rough edges, and um, that He's working through that, that we'll keep that I'll keep doing with Him. Uh, but today I want to share with you a series of verses that has really begun to shape my heart. And I think it's the phase of life we're in, the, the stage of ministry that we're in, uh, that makes them so insightful to me personally. But I, as we go, I hope that you gain some insights um, as how they can help you in your journey um, with your walk with Christ. So we're going to look at 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 16. And it says this, it says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, for, is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope is in the living God, who is the savior of all people and particularly all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them, insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, in your purity. Until I get there, this is Paul speaking, until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live, and on your teaching, stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Now, I've read First Timothy on numerous occasions, um, but recently, verse 15 of this chapter has been a source of both great comfort and and some mild discouragement. Um, and it's the part that says, give your complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Um, now, it might seem strange that that's true, but um, I'll get into that in a few minutes. So 1 Timothy was written by, um, was written by Paul to Timothy as Timothy began um, his pastoral ministry. And he was a young, a young man who was starting his journey into pastoral ministry, um, which is why Paul says, do not let anyone think less of you because you are young. Because he's trying to encourage Timothy that just because you're the age you are, it doesn't mean you can't encourage and build um, God's church. That if he's called you, he's called you regardless of your age. So he wants to both equip and encourage Timothy for a life of ministry. Uh, pastors know verse 16 really well. Uh, it says, keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. It's kind of a blueprint for, for ministry. Uh, it's really just live intentionally. Be intentional about what you tell people, which is your teaching, and how you live when they don't see you, which is your uh, which is your life. So it's a call for 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 Christ uh, to live for Christ both privately and publicly. Uh, and you're not to just pretend to be godly in front of people, but to actually have integrity and um, be real about your faith. Um, we're also not to be private where no one knows that we love God, that no one knows that we follow Christ, that people should benefit from our faith and um, people should be wowed by us, not because we're great, because someone is great in us um, coming through as he makes us into the people that he wants to make us into. So it's not an arrogant way. It's just who we are. We should be changing um, the, the, in, the environments around us when, we, when we're around other people. But there's there's these preceding verses um, before you get into that, uh, keep a close watch on your life and your teaching um, that I want to focus on. So it says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift you received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your complete attention to these matters and then throw yourself into your tasks. It says, So that everyone will see your progress. So that everyone will see your progress. The reason you're throwing yourself into your tasks and you're doing the things that God calls you to do is because God wants others to see your progress. So there should be a public element to your life with God. Now, this is where we're going to camp out today. Uh, I mentioned in verse 15 was both comforting and discouraging. And you might wonder why it's so discouraging. Um, And to be honest, it's my ego. My ego... Um, doesn't like to believe or think that there was a day that someone didn't appreciate or like what I was doing. That somebody might say, man, back then, he, man, he was a, a, he was a crazy dude. He, was, he, he wasn't really worth a lot back then. He wasn't doing a great job back then. My ego can't handle something like that. My ego wants you to be impressed with me. My ego wants you to see me as ahead of my time and mature beyond my years and all those goofy things that we say about people that impress us. My ego wants you to leave today thinking, wow, he's an amazing speaker and really good looking. Man, Carrie lucked out. That's what you should be saying when when you leave today. So, and a little bit about Jesus, but mostly about me. In all honesty, though, in my worst times, I don't even just want to be appreciated. If I were to bear my heart with you, there's times that I want to be looked up to. I want to be admired. I want to be sought after. I want people to talk about me behind my back in a good way. I want my name to come up in conversations. If I were completely honest, if I let my guard down and God stopped working on my ego and stopped revealing how deep and dark it really is, that's what I would want all the time. That's what I'm susceptible to. My idol is me. God has made it very clear that if I'm not careful, I become my own God. So all that to say is my discouragement came in thinking that people would see me five years from now and realize that I used to be less mature, less capable, and less godly. My ego doesn't like to be seen as any of those things ever. It also means that those who are following Christ, that have been following Christ for a long time, will look at me and not be very impressed because they're so much farther along in their faith and they're so much more grounded and so much more, they have so much more roots that are deeper and they could look at me and go, man, Mike's got a long way to go before he gets there. And I don't like that. My ego says, I don't like that. I want people to say, wow, you're amazing. So this can be a pretty big downer until I realized the part that encouraged me about this verse. And this is something that we all have to, sink into our hearts this morning. I realize that it also means I can be qualified to be an elder, a leader in the church and set an example with my life without having arrived yet. That I don't have to be at a certain place that is considered arrived in order for God to use me. I can be in the middle of my journey, even if it's at the beginning of that journey. Uh, 11 years ago when I first started that journey, God was equipping and handling me and doing the things in me that he needed to do. So thank goodness I don't choke on communion anymore. I actually tell you the truth when I preach the Bible, for the most part, I think. If I'm wrong today, tell me, because that would be crazy to have bookends of... But overall, this verse to me is a call to live my life as a testimony to God's workmanship in me, that I am his clay And he is the one making whatever he wants to make out of that clay. He makes me grow. He is why I'm becoming more mature. He is why I'm different now than I was five years ago. And he gets all the credit. And this leads me to the one thing that I want to leave you with today. And we're going to repeat it a few times as I keep going. But when it comes to your walk with Christ, where you're going is more important than where you are. Where you're going is more important than where you are. Both in a positive and a negative sense. So, three things to keep in mind as we measure spiritual progress, because we're talking about progress. We're talking about where are we now? Where are we going? And where have we been? And um, sometimes we're moving really fast, and we're trucking along, and we're doing great. Sometimes we're really slow, and sometimes we're doubtful. Sometimes we're we're straight up frustrated and with God, and we're not even sure where we stand with things anymore at times. So. Three things to keep in mind when we're measuring spiritual progress that I have learned in the last few months because they've really been on my heart and God has been doing them in me and I want to share them with you. Um, Number one, don't take your spiritual temperature every day. Don't evaluate your progress every day because there are going to be moments and phases where you're not doing a great job. So uh, if there's one thing I've learned over time, it's to use short periods of time to create spiritual habits in long periods of time to evaluate your spiritual habits. The point is this, you need to look for progress over months and years, not minutes and hours. Look at your trajectory over the past 6 months to a year. Even better, go 5 years. If I go five years, I'm deeper. I'm more grounded in my understanding. There's things that, I've actually, that are actually um, worse now, but there's things that are better, and God is always moving and shifting and doing things in me. And if I look at five years ago, I'm excited about who I am. But if I look a week ago, I might go, man, I, really, I didn't do a great job living for God last week. But if I look at a whole five years, hopefully I'm seeing slow and meticulous growth. Oh, and this goes for judging others too, because we don't know where everyone else is on their journey. Don't rush to criticize the spiritual progress of others without knowing how far they've come and which direction they're going. It's better to be a spiritual cheerleader than a critic. We have enough critics. So it's about where you're going, not where you are. It's about where they're going, not where they are. Number two, don't be afraid to hand the spiritual thermometer to someone else. You might be the last person that should be evaluating your own spiritual life because you might be letting yourself off the hook of places that are in dire need of your attention, and you might be looking at yourself and really feeling miserable in ways that you shouldn't be because God is actually doing a great work in your life. So the assumption in verse 15 is that other Christians will see your progress. And an honest, discerning friend is often more accurate than we are in assessing our spiritual growth. Now, some of you spouses are a little bit too eager right now for your, for your husband or wife to ask you, Please, Lord, let him ask me. Let her ask me how she's doing. I want to tell her all the things that she could grow in. Calm down. You got to be gentle in your responses. The main goal here is to ask someone, anyone who loves Jesus and cares about your life, how you're doing. Do a little checkup, a spiritual checkup. Spouses, you can ask each other. Ask your kids. I think it's fantastic that Pastor Barton asks his kids because they'll tell them the truth. They'll be the ones that'll be able to tell them this is what we see. Um, If you're single, find a friend, find an adult, find somebody who's actually going to tell you the truth and will be loving and gentle with their response. Because here's the big picture. Others can see the longevity of your journey, the good or the bad, where we tend to focus on on today's failures and successes. So here's the deal, though. You got to accept what you hear. If you're going to do this, you got to buck up. And you got to accept... What you hear, the point of this isn't to hear how great you are or how far you've come. It's to discover your blind spots. It's to realize that there's some things going on under the surface that you might not notice. So that's a pretty big deal. It's about where you're going, not where you are. Number three, don't stop running ever. You are running a race. The prize is Jesus. Don't stop running ever. Just keep going. Sometimes it's going to be hard, really hard, really hard. Just keep going. And I want this one to sink in because the closer you get to God, the more you will see your ungodliness. Sounds strange. When I began my journey with Christ, this, there was a person who described, um, described it like this. They said, right when you start, God is going to begin to reveal things to you that are giant. They're boulders. They're like these huge things that are hindering you from feeling the love, feeling and, and, and uh, doing the things that God wants you to do. For me, they were drugs, alcohol, and girls. I wanted all of them all the time, mostly all together. It was a big deal for me. I knew the moment I gave my life to Christ that God wanted those things gone because they would rob me of my joy in him. And I knew that. For some reason, I knew that. I knew these three things, drugs, alcohol, and sex, had to go because they were damaging my witness for him. Boulders. My whole life revolved around parties and sex. Wealth wasn't a big deal to me. I didn't care about being rich. I didn't care about being famous. I didn't care about being known. I just cared about partying. And the fact that I didn't, now, when I became a Christian, I followed, began to follow Christ. The fact that I didn't enjoy those things was uncanny to me. This was a testimony, an evidence to me that God was truly real. Because I loved doing those things. I wasn't a miserable drunk. I didn't hurt people. I was passing college. I was doing great in classes. I still made it to all my classes, whether I was hungover or not. I went to class, and so I wasn't making a mess of my life. I didn't have this horrible life that I had destroyed because of my habits. I hadn't gotten that far along in life yet to experience those things. I was just this guy that loved partying all the time. And, and everyone loved me to be in those, in those environments. I, was a, I wasn't a, a mean guy, so I was uh, friends with a lot of people. I could get into parties for free. People would hand me, just give me drugs. So I had this life that I loved being part of. So the fact that all, all of a sudden, in one instantaneous moment, I didn't like it anymore, that didn't make sense to me. And it was real. It was, I didn't just try to not do drugs. I didn't want to do drugs. I didn't want, now some people, it's a process. So I'm not going to say that if that's not you and you're still struggling with something, that, that doesn't mean that God isn't working in your life at all. But I'm saying for me, what God did is revealed himself very powerfully because I didn't want to do them. Now at times I fell and I did them, but I hated it. I hated knowing that they had that much control over me that even though I had loved God and loved Christ and was following him, that they still had this, uh, they still sunk their chains into my flesh and I, I wanted them. So I knew God was changing my heart and giving me new desires, desires that I would never have known without him. So after, now my friend go, went on to share with me, and this was important because as I'm dealing with these boulders and they're being removed, those boulders reveal rocks. And the rocks are a little bit smaller there's more of them. So the further along in my faith I was going, I'm just revealing more and more things that need to be worked on. I'm like, oh, I got rid re- of, yeah, I'm doing good now. Yeah, but Mike, you're really prideful. Yeah, yeah but there's something going on in your heart, Mike. You're still, you st- there's, some, uh, there's some lustful issues going on in your heart. We got to get rid of those things. So the stones, the rocks, are usually the heart issues that have led to the boulders. Now, as you get rid of the rocks or the stones, the ro- there's rocks and then there's, then there's pebbles. And then you get to a point where there's an endless desert of grains of sand of all the things wrong with you, all, of your, all the things that you're not doing right, all the things that you say at the wrong times, all the things that you believe that are inaccurate. There's an endless desert and God says, chill out. It's cool. I got you but we're going to begin to work on your life and you're going to become more and more like me, one grain of sand at a time. So as you keep going, like I said, as you keep going, your ungodliness will become more and more clear. But God's love, God's care for you, God's commitment to you becomes more and more deep. It's normal to feel less holy as you become more holy. Being aware. Now, for those of you that find yourselves struggling with where you're at and what you're thinking and what you're doing and that it isn't at the place that you wish you were, I want you to know this. Being aware of your personal sin is usually a sign of the Spirit's work in you, not of his withdrawal from you. When you are torn up inside because of who you are and you're not satisfied with where you are in life, that's the Spirit of God working in you. That's not him removing himself and you you being on your own. That's him getting deep. That's him revealing himself to you. That's him providing you with conviction. You begin to realize that you really do gossip. You begin to realize that you really do treat others poorly at times. You realize how miserable you are sometimes. You realize how ungrateful you are sometimes. You realize how shallow the things of the world really are and the things that you're chasing after. You realize how fickle money is. You realize how much you depend on people to make you feel better. You realize how much other substances are trying to bury the things that are going on in your heart. Because God begins to do something really crazy and he begins to reveal himself to you and him and those things can't be in the same place. And so he begins to process a process of moving and pushing those things out of your life. Being aware of your personal sin is usually a sign of the Spirit's sanctifying work in your life, not his withdrawal from it. So never stop running the race. It's about where you're going, not where you are. So running the race with holiness and focus, we need to look at it through the lens of the gospel. Otherwise we will fall into the trap of works-based righteousness. We will begin to think to ourselves, I can do it. I'm going pull pull, to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm just going to keep walking. and I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to keep going. And then someday you're going to fail. So the thing we rely on is not our own ability. The thing we rely on is Jesus. You'll start working hard at living for God, but you'll lose God in the process. So here are two foundational truths that need to be brought up here, connected to two verses that I think will be powerful for us to understand. Number one, you are holy because of Christ. Once you begin to follow Christ and you give your life to him, you become holy. You are entirely, fully, all the way through holy. Hebrews 10.10 It says, for God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time, made holy. You are made holy in Christ. In Christ, you are holy and will never stop being holy. It's because of him, not you, period. That's something some of us need to rely on. Number two, you are becoming holy Through him. So you are holy because of him, but you are becoming holy through him. Now, how does that even make sense? Philippians one six says, and I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians two thirteen says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In Christ you are becoming holy, and he will never stop building on it. You are holy, you are both you are both holy now. And are becoming holy. Only way I can think of this, and I'm sure that this is a very limited illustration, is being pregnant. You don't become more pregnant as you go along. Although people say dumb things like, wow, you are really pregnant. Those people should never say those things because no one likes to... <laughs> has any pregnant woman gone, thank you. I've always wanted to look large. It's awesome. Thanks for saying I'm really pregnant. That's great. Do you, awesome. I'm going to smack you next time I see you. But you don't become more pregnant. You're officially pregnant. You are officially pregnant the whole time. But you do begin to show and reveal your pregnancy more over time, right? So that's the same idea with us spiritually. We become holy in a moment of salvation. But over time, that holiness becomes more and more real and we work it out more and more readily. So you don't, you're never less holy than you are in that day, but you begin to reveal it and you begin to live it out and you begin to experience it more and more and more. So there's something we need to do before uh, closing this down. We need to expose the allurement of superficiality. Because I'm willing to bet that most of us would say that we don't see ourselves as superficial. But I'm going to ask you to begin to think through it and to at least be open to it for for a few minutes here. Because our susceptibility to superficiality is what crushes our chances for true intimacy with God. We live in a world obsessed with superficial beauty. Whether it's on Facebook, YouTube, YouTube, Cable news, the newspaper, if anyone reads those anymore. The world expects a certain look. The message is all around us that we're not living a good life if we don't look good in the life that we're living. If you don't look like you have it all together, then you probably don't have it all together. The truth is nobody has it all together. That's the truth that we're so ashamed to let everyone know. We don't have it all together. I'm not a great dad all the time. I'm not a great husband all the time. Quiet, Carrie. There's times when I fail at all of those things. I mean, we have this is, this is where we go. We have 10-year-olds wearing makeup. We have college students in ironic hits regard. We have stay-at-home moms on another diet kick. Middle-aged dads getting reacquainted with the gym. We have 20-somethings rocking the, new, uh, the newest hairstyle, listening to the latest indie album. We have aging boomers on Botox. We have all these things that we want an image. We want to produce an image for the world to like us and to appreciate us and to think we're great. It's an image. It's superficial. But what is true beauty? What is really worth seeing. Who has the look worth imitating? Paul says this in Philippians 3:17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Join in me, join in imitating me, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. You see, it's holiness or godliness or however you want to say it that God is looking for. And Paul so rightly instructs us to choose very wisely the people that we're going to look up to. Very wisely. Who is going to impress us? Who is going to motivate us to become better people? Who are going to wow us? Who are going to teach us how to live this life? And hopefully it's more than just being a better mom. Hopefully it's more than just being a better dad. Hopefully it's better than just handling anger better. Hopefully it's better than just getting some things in order. Hopefully it's better than a better you being a better employee, employer, friend, student, sibling, etc. Hopefully it's just you running hard after Christ. Because as you run hard after Christ, those things, those things actually become byproducts. They become natural results of your intimacy with God because whoever you're around with the most, you end up being like them. Whoever you're around the most, you end up taking on some of their characteristics, some of their ways, some of the things that they're like, good and bad. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you're going to be like him. The closer you get to Jesus, do you want to be like him? Just spend time with him. He didn't make it super difficult. He didn't say, go do all this stuff, then come to me. He said, come to me, and I'm going to send you to do a lot of great stuff. But we're going to work on you first. But just come to him. If there's something that I've learned over 11 years, it's that I try too hard. I try too hard. However, sadly, we desire superficial faith opposed to messy faith. We're more concerned about, listen to this, this this is going to be subtle, but check it out. We are more interested in what people think about us than what's true about us. We're more interested in what people think about us than what's true about us. The best looking Christian is not the one that has arrived. It's not the one that puts on a show for others about how put together they are. It's the one that is simply running. It's the one that is running towards Christ, humbly, desperately running toward Christ. Never stop running ever. First Corinthians 924 says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone wins, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. The prize is Jesus. The prize isn't you looking better. The prize isn't you being a better person. The prize isn't you being deeper. The prize isn't you reading more. The prize isn't you, isn't you praying more. The prize isn't you being at church more. The prize isn't you serving more. The prize isn't you giving away more money. The prize is Jesus. That's it. Because all those other things will make you think better about yourself. I'm giving more. I'm, 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 I, I, I. Look at me, look at me takes our eyes right off of him. And to be honest with you, and this sounds really stupid that I would say this, but to be honest with you, you could do those things without him. You could just choose to give more and you could give more. doesn't mean you love God more. There's people that give way more than me. doesn't mean they love God more than me. But as God develops in my heart, hopefully I begin to give more. Hopefully I become more generous. But it's him who's going to do the work. He is my prize. He is the prize and man is he worth running for this is no small thing God saved you to sanctify you God is in the beautification business he wants to wash away the spots and the wrinkles of your life he will have a blameless bride the Bible says he promises to work in you and he also calls you to work it out guys would you stand with me we're going to close in a song our worship team can make their way forward I have one last verse to give you before we pray. Psalm 29 2 says this It says, Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. In the beauty of holiness. If you've never thought of holiness as beautiful, here's your chance. Here's your opportunity to shift and to tweak and to really make holiness what it's supposed to be. Holiness is not a, a, a something that we achieve. Uh, it's something that's given to us. Holiness is a beautiful thing that means we are becoming right and we are becoming like God. The beauty of holiness is the Lord's. He is beautiful because He's holy. And if you didn't know this, those of you that love Jesus and those of you that are following Jesus in this room today, you followed him because his beauty overtook your heart. You fell in love with God because he was beautiful to you. You might not have described it that way at the time, but he is beautiful. His beauty took your breath away and you gave your life to him. So I want to close our time today in thankful worship for who God is and the journey that he has us on because his holiness is our holiness. So let's sing this morning.